Welcome to the senses-shattering premiere issue of Four Color Fanboys, our brand new comic book podcast. Comic book podcast. I'm Brian Zeno of the Podwitz Podcast. You might know me. And uh, say hello, my compatriot here. Hello, my compatriot. <laughs> I'm Al Sedano from Resurrections and Adam Warlock Podcast, which most of you probably don't know. But you will after this. And what does senses shattering mean anyway? I, never, I don't understand how senses can be shattered. Maybe you get hit in the face hard enough hard that it screws up your sense of smell. That could be. That could be. And actually, I might have had an example of it this morning. I saw the brand newly released, uh, and this will date when this podcast was recorded, the brand newly released uh, X-Men Days of Future Past trailer. I saw that too. Uh, and I believe it might have shattered my senses because it was crazy awesome. Yes. <laughs> Mine was actually shattered this morning, too. I was walking the dog, and when I picked up the, his stuff in a bag, it got a bit of a whiff of it, and yeah, that there you go. shattered, so my shattered your senses. Fair enough. Fair enough. But actually, real quick thing, going off of what you said about the X-Men trailer, mm-hmm. I saw, because it was on YouTube, a link to another trailer called The Bent Bullet. Ah, yes. Yes. And I watched that trailer, and it's a little one-minute clip about a conspiracy theory about Magneto being the actual killer of JFK. Wow. And there are senses shattered. There actually is a website <laughs> called the Bent Bullet, which I only looked at for a few minutes this morning with a couple articles and a video officially done with the uh, movie. And I think it's even going to have some ties. It links into the movie about Magneto's past, about how he was arraigned and arrested and convicted by the Warren Commission for the murder of JFK. Wow. That um, there was a mutant who worked at Jack Ruby's. Uh, club who was killed right before then like a whole big thing mixing in the history real history with the history of the movie i'm uh, w- the movie of the days of future past yes. so this is all the tie-in to exactly. days of, i was gonna say is this a trailer for something larger and then well if the something larger is in fact x-men days of future past then i guess it is yeah, just like <laughs> if you saw a few months ago they did a uh, fake website for trask industries oh because that they make the Sentinels. Um, that's um, that's uh, uh, Peter Dinklage is playing Bolivar Trask, right? Yes. Okay. Or Larry Trask. I'm not sure which Trask. I think Trask. it's Bolivar. Okay. Yeah. You, I get. As you can see, we got a lot of uh, deep, deep uh, knowledge to get into I here. I would wait a little bit on that one, but since we mentioned the uh, trailer, and that's how I found it, I figured it was a perfect. No, that's link. that's absolutely fine. But uh, let's let's kick things off here. Introduce a little bit about ourselves and why uh, you should be listening to us natter on about comic books for a portion of your day. Um, we, um, Al and I have been friends for, God, 20 some odd years now, I think. Yeah, 90, uh, spring 94. Spring of 94. So yeah, so we're, we're celebrating 20, this is how we're celebrating being friends for 20 years. We immediately found out that we'd both been, uh, comic book geeks for pretty much our entire lives. The very first comic book I ever read, and now I'm really going to date myself, was um, Amazing Spider-Man number 159, cover dated uh, August 1976. Uh, dealt with Ham. It was the last uh, part of a trilogy involving the return of Hammerhead and his vendetta against Doctor Octopus, and how poor Aunt May gets caught in the crossfire. And uh, I guess that warped my tiny little mind. My parents had obviously bought it for me, and pretty much throughout my single-digit years, the only two comic books I owned were that. And Incredible Hulk 217, uh, the cover dated November 1977, uh, which involved the Hulk getting involved with the Masterminds Circus once again and falling in love with a mermaid. Does he dress like a clown again? No, 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 no. That This was a little past those weird-ass Jack Kirby days. But oh, point awesome, is, though. 
point is, is that those were pretty much the only two comics I had, uh, and they formed my... So I watched The Incredible Hulk on TV, and then I uh, started buying comics under my own steam with Web of Spider-Man number 6 in 1985, and the rest, as they say, is history. It's been pretty much nonstop since then. There are a few more details that will play into it. I'm sure I'll mention them over the course of uh, uh, of this podcast. But all you really need to know from me going forward is that I'm such a Marvel zombie um, that probably the opening theme for this podcast should be Bear McCrary's uh, Walking Dead theme. <laughs> but since I don't think we're licensed to use that, we're using the theme we are using. But um, you'll learn more about me as this goes on. But that pretty much uh, explains why you need to be listening to me. Al, your story? <laughs> uh, the, I actually am not sure what the first comic I read of was. The first one I can actually remember getting was Star Wars, from Mar- the Marvel version of Star Wars. I think it was number 107. I remember it had a cover of Leia being held by this really pale, white-skinned alien with a big knife. Okay. And I think they even, he, she even called him Knife. <laughs> and... Uh, I always like to read... And Originally I had, enough. <laughs> yeah. I always like to read, and I had an uncle who worked something involving uh, recycling, and somehow you'd always end up with these comics. Some of them actually were covered, and some of them were the ones that the newsstands used to do, they would rip the top part of the cover off to send it back and then throw out the, other, the comic itself. Mm-hmm. And whenever he had extras of them, he would say, take what you want and read stuff. So I always had a bunch of older comics. I remember having... Amazing Spider-Man 120, uh, like 120 and 119, uh, like the issues right before the death of Gwen Stacy. Right, right. When he fights the Hulk by Niagara Falls. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Which I never read those. I haven't read those issues yet, but I do remember the references to the Hulk in Canada yeah. uh, in the Gwen Stacy issues. And a whole bunch of other random things. And I just read them like that. I would get comics from him every once in a while when I'd go visit. And it was actually Louise Simonson and June Brigman's Power Pack number 3. Interesting. After reading that for like the 12th time that I went, I realized, hey, you could buy new ones <laughs> instead of just getting whatever <laughs> random things you had are available. You could get the next one and the <laughs> next one. And I went out and actually I was a little past Power Pack 3. It was actually Power Pack 31. Mm-hmm. It was the first one comic I actually went out to buy it with the intention of buying it and getting the next one and getting the next one. And mm-hmm. that led into X-Men and New Mutants because they guest starred in there shortly afterwards. Yep, yep, yep. And now, was that slightly before, slightly after the Mutant Massacre? That was after the Mutant Massacre. That was uh, Power Pack 27 was the Massacre. The, that's the only issue of Power Pack I've ever read, so. Because 33 guest starred uh, Sunspot and Warlock from the New Mutants, mm-hmm. which led into me getting the, the last issue of Fall of the Mutants for them and X-Men. Ah, so you didn't join New Mutants until the Louise Simonson years. Clearly, Louise Simonson was a bit of an in for you. Wheezy was a bit of an in for she you. She was. And actually, the funny <laughs> thing is, while I love Louise Simonson, a lot of her stuff, for me, like for a lot of people, the golden age of reading comics is the stuff when they first read it when they were kids. Yes. For me, like the golden age of New Mutants was 14 to 54, which right. was right before I started reading. The golden age was the, the everything everything Claremont did pretty much from the time he got them back from that ill-fated, ill-advised uh, trip to Brazil, which yes. just has dated very b- badly. Right. It's like 13 or 14. But then straight through, man, I loved oh, that God, yeah. book. And loved the same it. thing with X-Men. It was issues for me, 129 to 227 is the golden age of X-Men mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned, and I started with 227. So pretty much, so you, would, so you would say pretty much the golden age ends with them heading to the Outback. Yeah, 
Okay, interesting. Follow the, follow the mutants. Follow the mutants. Was the okay. end of it. Like they died, came back. It was amazing. And I like stuff since then because I kept reading. Right, right, right. It wasn't as good as the back issue stuff I was getting where I would read like issue 205 and even though I knew it was a back issue, I'd actually start wondering if they were going to die. That's – I love that stuff. When when they can really draw you into the story and the peril in the story, um, that's, that's when you know you're reading something that's stood the test of time. Yeah, and I did start as a Marvel zombie, but eventually I did – I branched out more into – I got started getting DC stuff, and then, well, I started working at a comic store part-time mm-hmm. for credit in high school, so I would ah. have extra money to spend, so I started getting other independent stuff. And you're, that makes you a retail professional, which I cannot say. <laughs> so I've, I've read a lot of different companies of different stuff. I have branched out into other companies, and I'm going to mention some of all that uh, uh, in both the, probably this podcast and other future issues. Uh, you actually were, were sort of one of my first ends to a non-Marvel Book because it was Al who twisted my arm and first got me reading Transmetropolitan. It's a whole other story. I might tell that story at the end of the podcast because uh, there's a whole story related to Warren Ellis. But um, yes. let's let's uh, now now that we've established a little bit of who we are and um, hopefully why we are uh, why why we are qualified to uh, at least uh, rant at each other about this for an hour a month or so. Um, Let's uh, let's go to the pull list, which is what we're going to call our monthly feature on what new stuff we've been reading. So, uh, Al, what have you been? Uh, what what what's caught your eye this month? <coughs> I'll edit that out. Well, one of the most recent things I read was uh, Justice League twenty eight. So this is a uh, new fifty two uh, Justice yes, League. Fifty two is a forever, forever evil crossover, and Forever Evil's been pretty good. Some issues better than others. Um, some of the crossovers, not so much. Uh, Jeff Johns has crossed it over into a few books. Uh, I know it's in Just League Dark, but I'm not really reading that, so I can't really say. Okay. Uh, Just League of America, which I've read some of the issues, but it's really, that's really dragging. That's a different book from Justice League. There's Correct. Justice League, and then there's Justice League of America. Justice League of America seems to be the story about how the main characters, members of the Justice League and the Justice League of America, have been captured and are in a prison, but we're really only seeing Martian Manhunter and Stargirl. And it just seemed to drag issue by issue. And I think in the last issue, we found out that they're still in the prison when they thought they had escaped. It's really going slow there, and it doesn't feel like anything's happening. Interesting. I have to say, because, uh, yeah, all the inf- all, all of the context you can give me, because, frankly, in the, what, two two years it's been in existence? 2011, uh, so uh, August 31st, 2011. Three years it's been in existence. The new, the new 52, whenever I run across stories about it or a little blurb about it, say, on Comic Book Reese's or whatever, they're talking, they're saying, hey, this about the new 52, and I'm receiving... <laughs> so I, it is a morass of incomprehensibility to me. So please, by all means... Feel free to fill in context as necessary. Okay. Well, I'll make it brief. Uh, the brief thing about Forever Evil, which is the crossover series DC is doing now, mm-hmm. is that there were two teams: Justice League, which is the Justice League you imagine: Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Flash, Green Lantern, and used to be Martian Manhunter. I was going to say he was always one of the classic, but he is now leaguers, not a member now. He? Okay. now he's now it's Cyborg. Interesting. From the Teen Titans, and he was never Teen Titans. Do the Teen Titans exist in the New 52? They do, but not the classic version. They only came together, like, 
when the new that's, 52 started. That is one of, and we're going to, there's a later portion of the podcast where we will be talking about back issues and classic stuff. One bit of classic DC that I have determined I want to read before m- much more of my life passes is the uh, Wolfman Perez reboot of the new Teen Titans from what was it, 80 or 81? 80, I think. I have like the first 12, 13 issues of that, mm-hmm. and it's pretty good. I've heard nothing but good things about it, and as long as it's good, I'll read it. It's not like, ugh, DC, get it out of my face. You know, it's just DC as a, as a, probably because my mental path, my neural pathways were formed by strong exposure to Marvelite. <laughs> probably just the DC style or ethos doesn't really has never really connected with me the way the marvel that one you'll probably like because it has it's very similar to the x-men of the time right and i would imagine that because i've read that it was actually them trying to compete with the x-men of the time which was writing high 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 at the peak of the burn claremont years and also wolfman had just come from being an editor at marvel so he carried some of that dna with him i'm sure yeah so it's very similar to that yeah but, so that so that's that, and then the government not liking the fact that there's a team of superheroes that they don't control over mm-hmm. form their own team, the Just League of America. I forget exactly who's in it. I know it's Green Lanterns, in, I mean Green Arrow's in it, mm-hmm. Marsh Manhunter, Star Girl, Vibe, and a few other people. But they really have nothing to do with this issue, so it doesn't matter. Anyway, the I find it interesting knowing what little I know of the DC mythos. I find it interesting that Green Arrow would find himself in a team that was government-controlled. That just sounds completely like... From what I've seen... <laughs> the opposite of, of the Oliver Queen I am I know about. Yeah, from what I, little I've seen, basically he wanted to join the Just League, and they're like, yeah, we don't know you, and get the hell out of here. Fascinating. Okay. Now, I see on the cover of this Justice League uh, 28 that it is, it is apparently a big deal uh, about the metal men. I've been hearing a lot of people on online um, talking a lot about the Metal Men and now they're in the New 52 now and how it's kind of a big deal. I know nothing about them. Why are the Metal Men a big deal? Well, I mean, I don't know if they're... Or are they? Or am I just completely misreading this? They're a Silver Age DC concept of basically these uh, sentient robots created by uh, Doc Will Magnus and each Metal Men is basically created out of a, a different metal. Okay. The main ones are gold, lead... Iron, platinum, mercury, and tin, and they're robot superheroes who kind of want to be like you know, it's like Data from Star Trek. They uh, want to be human. Okay, okay. So they they've been back and forth in DC for years, but they never really were considered major characters. Mm-hmm. You know, they were lasted mm-hmm. for a little while in the late Silver Age, and for the most part since then they really were like backup status or guest stars. The most before this, the most recent big thing they had was a few years before the New Fifty Two. There was a uh, relaunch of the Doom Patrol by Keith Giffen, and they did a backup in the first eight issues of The Metal Men by Keith Giffen, J.M. Dimitati, uh, how do you say uh, I, I've never been sure. I've never James heard Dematis, it said. Dematis, or I, 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 I read a lot of stuff by, um, I, well, I'll ex- in the back issue portion, I'll explain my familiarity with his uh, work. But uh, Tell me Kevin McGuire is the third name you're going to say. Kevin McGuire. Uh, the classic, one DC product I have always loved. The late '80s Justice League, the Bwahaha Justice, the Bwahaha Justice League, and it's done like love that. it, love and it. It was a great series. Oh, I got to read that now. See, that's great. You've just stolen some of my time, Al. That Thank was, you so much. It was really fun. So, but that was the last <laughs> big thing they had. But anyway, so in the Forever Evil story, in the very beginning, the Crime Syndicate, which is basically an evil version of the Justice League from an alternate Earth, 
Ah. Comes here and basically in the... Sort of a cod legion of doom, if you will. Exactly. But it's all alternates of them. So it's an evil version of Superman. Wonder oh, Woman. I see. Okay. Kind of. So kind of a DC-esque squadron sinister, if you will. Yes. Oh, hey, hey, Which hey. Which is based on the Justice League. Which fact. I knew that, actually, and uh, have read those many times, those old 60s Avengers so issues. They, ca- they capture the Justice League and Justice League of America before that story even starts. And pretty much have taken over the world. Mm-hmm. Almost no one's free. It's really only the villain, only a few villains who don't want somebody taking over the world that are fighting them right now, with the exception of one or two members of the League who did get away, of course, Batman, because mm-hmm. Batman does everything and can <laughs> I'm do Batman. everything. And Cyborg. Mm-hmm. And right now, Cyborg's on his own, and he is trying to get a team together to help rescue the Justice League. And that's the point of this story. He comes to Doc Magnus because he had heard about the Metal Men. And he needs their, he wants their help. And Magnus is telling him that, you know, he, you know, he had created the first true sentient, uh, sentient, uh, I'm losing the word now, <laughs> AI. Sentient artificial intelligence. That's it. Artificial intelligence. But there was a problem with them. And Cyborg's asking, like, what's the problem? Were they, did they want to kill humanity or enslave it? And Will Magnus basically gives the origin of what happened with the middlemen. And the problem was basically as far as he was concerned, is that not that they wanted to enslave humanity, they wanted to be part of it. Mm. He's funded by the government. He's told us for search and rescue. Mm-hmm. He creates a metal man, which basically means he creates what he calls a response meter, which basically is the AI, dumps it in these vats of molten metal, and it becomes part, mixes with the molten metal, and basically allows it to... Create itself, if exactly, you will. Exactly, create itself. But the problem is they start gaining uh, personalities. Uh, oh, pesky. Personalities. So Gold is uh, thinks he's the leader of the metal man. He's also kind of vain. <laughs> uh, tin is the smallest, ends up being smaller than the others, and has a bit of a stutter and a bit of an inferiority complex. Lead is dense, mm-hmm. <laughs> very dense. You can't really. All the metal men can pretty much change their shape however they want. Mm-hmm. He has trouble, and he falls in love with a vending machine. <laughs> Well, good good for Jeff Johns, at least for remembering that uh, this stuff's supposed to be fun. Yeah. You know? Mercury is not only very proud of the fact that he's the only metal that's liquid at room temperature, but he's also keeps spouting things about robot revolution, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> et cetera. And the army basically busts in when Will's trying to fix them to get rid of these pesky personality things. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we have this issue over here. We want, to, want this guy assassinated, get them ready to go. Mm-hmm. And the metal men say, No. screw this we're out of here and they leave and I think Will gets fired and that night he's at home trying to figure out what the problem was and the metal men are hiding there and he's trying to explain to them what you know they're like you don't want us to kill people do you (laughs) and it turns out he had his first so so it's a bit of your classic um, naive new being being taken advantage of by sinister lying um, uh, supposed like pretending to be friends kind of thing uh, yeah, like short, cir- short Circuit. Yes, exactly. Johnny Five comes alive and does not want to kill people. Right. But they want him to kill people. Yeah, I gotcha. So anyway, there was a first response meter he had made, a prototype, but it was faulty. Somebody steals it and dumps it in a vat of uh, liquid waste, basically, toxic mm-hmm. waste, and that creates the classic DC villain, Chemo. Okay. Oh, I, I, I saw Chemo in an early issue of John Byrne's run of Superman. Yeah. Um, was it in, oh, I can't remember now. Was it John Burns Superman where, uh, chemo? Yeah. I think so. Yeah, I think so. I don't, I, I, um, like I said, I'm not so familiar. So, well, so, um. Yeah, so chemo attacks because they send chemo after mm-hmm. him. 
and the metal men rescue him, and Kimo's basically rampaging in downtown D- Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. And apparently, while the metal men weren't listening to Will, because the army told him, order them back, and he's mm-hmm. like, I tried giving them orders, and they wouldn't listen to me, mm-hmm. and I don't want them to follow this order to kill people. Apparently, there's two rules the metal men will follow. Uh, one, let's save everyone we can, mm-hmm. and then two, neutralize the threat. And they go into chemo, and I'm not sure if this is real science or comic science. <laughs> Probably comic but science. But their metals together somehow uh, fuse with the toxins in there, render them inert, and they're considered dead. And So it was kind of a one and at the moment, it looks like a one-and-done guest shot for yeah, the metal well, men. Well, yes, but as uh, Cyborg's talking to Will Magnus and saying, yeah, but I can pick up their response meters. They're here, and they're working. They're alive. And Magnus is like, they were the best people I knew. I can't go through this again. I can't right. lose them. Right, so... And he says, well, what would the metal man want? He, he's like, well, there's a really cool shot of Will Magnus picking up the response meter and saying, let's go save everyone we can. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, so, and, oh, so it, it's and to, like sort of a to be to continued kind of a thing? Yeah, that they're going to be back. Okay, okay. And I just loved it. It was an example of, while nowadays they'll do like 12 issues to tell... What could, used to be a two-page spread. Right, right. That's that's a well-documented uh, modern phenomenon, story decompression. And when I get to mine, I'll, and I'm sure I'll mention works, that. And sometimes it doesn't, but this is a great example of a nice, great one-and-done story. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, granted, if you're looking for Forever Evil and you want to see stuff that's actually progressing in that story, it's not really giving much of that, but it's a great one-and-done Metalman story. A lot of people said, and I agree at certain parts, that the New 52 is a little too dark. Mm-hmm. It's a little too mean a world. That is know? that is, that is the um, that is the opinion I've heard expressed by uh, my 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 fellow podwit Jay Marcus, who um, has pretty much uh, left comic fandom for the moment, uh, basically uh, because. Uh, he, he he found it less fun than it used to be. Now you're describing this, and it sounds like some of the fun is sort of creeping back in. Here, so, and this is also like they just that's their goal. Let's save everyone we can. Mm-hmm. That's all they want to do. Gotcha. And it's a beautiful, it's a great story. I love it. it. There's a good chance that at the end of the year, it'll still probably be my top five of like individual stories I've read this year. Interesting, interesting. And I think I think when we uh, that's a good 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 thing to say because when we get to the end of the year, I think perhaps we'll. Uh, We'll, we'll compile like a little list or whatever, but yeah. uh, but uh, so. so cool, cool. Um, I want to mention uh, well, one thing you're going to find out about me very quickly, so it's appropriate that I lead off our first podcast with this, so to speak. Uh, I am I am an unrepentant, unapologetic Bendis fanboy. <laughs> I just I really am. I fell in love with the guy um, before he went mainstream. Um, Back when I was sort of rooting my way around the indies world centered around Kabuki, that led uh, David Max Kabuki, um, that led me to um, Goldfish and Jinx. Mm. And well, it was all downhill from there. Shortly thereafter, he started Ultimate Spider Man, and you know, then it was just one good thing after another. Yeah. Powers and his his absolutely magnificent run on the Avengers. So anyway. I, I will be the first to agree that maybe he isn't as blazingly, like, un- infallibly amazing as once he was, but he's still my favorite guy writing comics today, and I pretty much buy everything that has his name on it. So, um, what I'm going to, in my new issue sort of talk up here, I'm gonna, I want to get into the uh, Trial of Jean Grey crossover that's been going on over the last month, month and a half or so. Uh, for those that don't know, that's crossover currently going on between... Uh, 
All New X-Men, which is the title focusing on the five time-displaced original X-Men who have been brought to the yes. present day from whenever. <laughs> from like, from the sort of not really specified time when they were younger. I think it's supposed to be like around issue six mm-hmm. of the original series. Right, right, exactly. And I remember the, the scene in of the original series, but I think it's it's pretty safe to say that it's not the 1960s that this bunch was pulled oh, from. Oh, yeah, no, it's probably like 90... 90- little fungible. Yeah, I don't know when. I mean, they're supposed to be around for 10 years, I try not to think. Years. I try not to think about it too hard. Just yeah. the past. I go with like the 90s. <laughs> so, but anyway, they've, uh, they've been brought forward in time. So that, and they're, they're the team that's focused on a new, all new X-Men. And Guardians of the Galaxy, which um, also written by, both titles are written by Brian Bendis. And, um, both getting movies this year. Both getting movies this year after a fashion. Yeah, well, X-Men is getting a movie. Yeah, exactly. And so anyway, um, it's been, an, and so the basic storyline runs that the Shi'ar uh, come to Earth. Uh, to basically capture young Jean Grey, who has not yet become the Phoenix... But they're going to capture her and spirit her away to the Shi'ar homeworld and put her on trial for the crimes that her future, past future self, boy, time travel just gets irritating, doesn't it? Um, that her past future self uh, committed as Dark Phoenix, um, which oh, that in and of itself is a good storyline, um, good meaty sort of, you know, oh, you know, what? By what right do you have to do this? And uh, what the, watching, sort of taking Jean, young Jean Grey as our viewpoint character and watching her try to comprehend how she's being put on trial for stuff she hasn't even done yet and in her mind would never do, yeah. um, how she can be held accountable for that. But the Shi'ar who, it's funny, when I was younger and I sort of dipped into the, 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 the X-Men mythos a little bit, not to the extent I would later on, but a little bit, you know, really my only point of entry to the Shi'ar was Lilandra. So I got the sense that Shi'ar were kind of good guys. Yeah. And I've really, as I've been going back, and I'll mention uh, uh, later on in the podcast when we get to the back issue section, I've been reading the those older late 70s issues of X-Men that introduced the Shi'ar, the rest of the Shi'ar, not just Lilandra. And, um, also more recent stuff. Yeah, they're not good. They're not good guys. They're they're really like the Kree, like the Skrulls. They're really kind of cosmic a holes. Yeah, well, they're basically a major cosmic power. It's mm-hmm. like they're a major nation, and it's, they're good guys as long as you're part of that nation. Right, or right. Spe- but know, the current emperor. But if you're not part of it, you know, it's like, well, it's if it benefits us to be friends with you, great. And if it doesn't, well, right. it's tough crap. Yeah, no, Gladiator's kind of a jerk. Um, and he's currently the emperor, the Shi'ar yes. emperor, so I, he's really kind of a jerk. I, I mean, a bit you could see, I'm not saying I agree with him, a bit you could see his point of, well, let's be proactive. Right, but, no, I agree, but still, they are definitely coming off as unbelievably oh, yeah. arrogant um, jerks in this storyline, which is yeah. clearly the intent. The best part, though, I thought, was the fact that Jean Grey's uh, legal counsel, mm-hmm. Oracle, from mm-hmm. the uh, Imperial Guard. Yeah. Is actually keep warning Gladiator, uh, don't push too much because mm-hmm. you don't want to create her, th- her this one becoming the Phoenix right now. Right, you will you, you if you don't want to like create the very thing that you're, or maybe see I'm not I have not been and I and I believe this is the intent of Bendis in the writing. I have not been a hundred percent convinced that that's not part of Gladiator's agenda. 
Hmm. It, you know, it is not outside the realm of possibility that he's trying to push her far enough to become Phoenix so that he can put her down before she... Like, it's like, he thinks... This is Gladiator's thinking. Push her so far that the Phoenix force manifests itself, but she doesn't have control of it, so we will then be able to suppress it, and then we will look like the cosmic badasses. Because that's where the Guardians of the Galaxy come in. One of the running storylines in the Guardians of the Galaxy has been... Um, Star-Lord's father, Star-Lord being the leader of the Guardians of the Galaxy, his father, Jason, yes. is uh, the Emperor of Spartax. I love these LA names that basically become Earth words. Earth names, yeah, Mar- exactly. Marvel. Yeah. Marvel. Okay, yeah, exactly. Cool. Hey, no, that's exactly. But um, so basically, um, and one of the running storylines in the new Guardians of the Galaxy series has been Emperor Jason trying his best to corral the unruly, um, different... Uh, galactic powers, the Kree, the Shi'ar, the Badoon, the Skrulls, all of them, into some sort of semblance of... Like a UN. Like a UN. Space like just UN. basically trying to get them to stop getting in each other's way long enough to, 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 to be somewhat productive and, yes. and decent citizens of the universe. Um, and one of... The, it's been made very obvious that for all of Jason's good intentions... Um, this is this is really a losing cause because they all really just want to be the biggest, baddest mofo on the block. And I think that's part of Guardian uh, Gladiator's thinking in all of this yeah. is if he if he can like create and then suppress a phoenix, then he's going to look awfully badass in front of all the other races, and that's really going to give him some leverage. So I think that could be part of his plan. I didn't think about that. It's possible. Of course, the backfiring for him is that. They want to put Phoenix on crimes for, you know, causing a sun to go nova. And right. Causing a world that I don't even know was part of the Shi'ar um, uh, empire, but way out in the galaxy. Exactly. Exactly. He's doing this on their Rome world. Mm-hmm. So that's like, you know, bringing the person to Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. you know, and saying, we hope that you don't have a crap load of bombs here and blow up a capital mm-hmm. because you blew stuff up in the middle of the desert. Mm-hmm. 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 You know, you killed five people in the middle of the desert. We're going to bring you here and put you near guns right by the president. And let's hope nothing bad happens. Ex- that, see, and that's that's exactly. So that's it's ba- as you can see, there's like a lot of balls in the air with this storyline. So that has been a delight pretty much throughout. And it's been fun. It's been and it's been fun. And I want to give a special shout out um, to Stuart Immonen who um, in his all-new X-Men issues, and I said this online, but for the benefits of the podcast listeners, he man has been putting on an absolute clinic on the right way to handle ginormous cl- crowd scenes. You basically, if you want to do a storyline that has about two dozen or more active front stage characters um, involved in the proceedings and you want to do those sort of great two-page spreads with everybody sort of flipping out and reacting to things and basically and you don't want it to be chaotic and incomprehensible well there's a right way to do that and there's a wrong way to do that and I've seen both in my time mm-hmm. right now Stuart Eminem and his anchor Wade, his, his personal anchor I believe Wade Von Grawbadger who has the greatest name in comics That's today um, the two of them are putting on an absolute clinic on how to visually handle these giant crowd scenes and this large cast of characters um, clearly and entertainingly, as you point out. It's been fun. I am becoming, I'd say it's funny, Stuart Eminem is a funny story because I hated him about, man, a few years back, I guess, was the first time I really, his name became 
familiar to me was when he became the um, uh, replacement for Mark Bagley on Ultimate Spider-Man. And all I knew about him at that point was he wasn't Mark Bagley. And I had fallen so in love with Mark Bagley's work on that series that might be my favorite. Like, if I had to pick a single favorite series of all time, it would probably be Ultimate Spider-Man. Um, to this day, it's continuing strong in my opinion, and unfortunately, even though Bendis isn't writing it, um, the it has been good enough that when All New Ultimates begins next month, you're going to pick that up. I'm going to have to pick it up. Because isn't it? Because because Miles is in. It. Basically, because Bendis spent the last six months of ulti- of his Ultimate Comic Spider-Man um, writing, inventing. I didn't even know they were going to be a team. Basically, they all sort of came together during the Spider-Man No More storyline, and I basically said, man, I would read a book about Spider-Man, Bombshell, Cloak and Dagger, Spider-Woman, and uh, uh, Kitty Pryde. I would read a book about them all freaking day long. And now there is one. And now there is one, and it's all new Ultimates, and unfortunately, I know it's not being written by Bendis, but I'm going to at least give it a try, because I would read a book about those kids all day long and twice on Sundays and I'm going to love the hell out of it but Imminent's been rocking it it has been amazingly fun and you bring in the Guardians um, on the action side it's nice because you've been able to do a sort of more contemplative side to the story in the all new X-Men side and then you bring in the Guardians and they're who are just up. and who are just cr- chaos personified God, they, yes. it, they got involved when they tried when they tried to cut the uh the the shiar kidnap party off at the past they showed up like five minutes too late did not endear them to the x-men who were left behind after yeah. Kitty, after uh gene had been kidnapped but they provided a ship for them at least exactly and so it's just been it's been action it's been hilarity so that pretty much of the new stuff uh i've been reading i would say that's probably uh been um the best stuff i've been reading of late. Um, so now, want to keep the proceedings moving. Uh, I believe it is time we got to sort of go into our, our, our long boxes, which is what we're calling the part of the part of the program where we get into um, what uh, back issues and classic stuff uh, we've been reading. I'll leave this off real quick, and then I'll let you get to your bit, Al. Um, I'm going to give a shout-out to... Uh, well, I'm going to give a quick shout-out, not too long, to the uh, Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning. Where is it? An- no, Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I want to get the right first name with the last name. Uh, uh, in, uh, 2008 relaunch of Guardians of the Galaxy, where they formed the modern... Team, team, more or less. In the wake of the Annihilation crossover that I did not read. Yeah, along with a few characters who aren't in the current one, like Adam right. Warlock. Uh, Bug of the Micronauts. Bug, uh, um, Cosmo. Matt, Cosmo, Mantis. Um, That's it, Mantis. I keep wanting to say Moondragon, but it's Moon, not. Well, I think Moondragon got involved at some point, without giving too, too much away. This was after we had discovered that she was, in fact, Heather... Um, Douglas, yes. uh, who was in fact the daughter of, Drax. of Drax's original mortal self, yes. and she'd gotten spirited away to the moons of Titan after her father got killed, killed and resurrected as Drax back in the Starling cosmic days. Really good stuff. It ties into all that good stuff, yes. and it's really good stuff. I'm currently only um, about two issues into the second trade paperback, the first part of the War of Kings storyline, Okay, so I'm still sort of working my way into it, but what I have read so far has been magnificent the other classic stuff and it's actually nice this ties into the trial of Jean Grey thing because I've been reading the origin of the um, Guardians of the Galaxy the current Guardians of the Galaxy team and the other uh, old stuff I've been reading has been um, pretty much I'll just define it as 
um, Uncanny X-Men Marvel Masterworks Volume 4, which basically covers the year before the Dark Phoenix Saga. So we've had the battle with Proteus we've, uh, uh, on Muir Isle. We've had the introduction of Dazzler and Kitty Pride and the Hellfire Club. This is seriously classic stuff, people. And I am... Uh, this is Claremont and Byrne at the height of their powers. I don't care if they were feuding like cats and dogs over every panel. Oh, God, yeah. Um, the tension created some primo graphic storytelling. And the nice thing is that stuff, dude, is 35, 34, 35 years old at this point, And it is still compelling reading that only requires the slightest mental adjustment for a mind accustomed to the more modern decompressed style of storytelling to get into. That's also the intro of the Hellfire Club. Uh, right. White yep. Queen. White Queen, Sebastian Shaw. Dazzler. Exactly. Yep. Yep. She, I, actually, that's the last issue I read was the issue that introduced Dazzler. It's so dated. You know, uh, oh, Gene and Scott going to a disco. Well, it was dated when like, it was dated. Right. When it was it dated out. when it came out. They were all a little behind the pop culture curve, but still, with all the stuff going on with the with the Hellfire Club, uh, who had kidnapped uh, Storm, Wolverine, and Colossus, and depowered them, but Kitty Pride is sort of ghosting around, unbeknownst. And not having a clue what she's doing. because is... She's 13. And she's never been involved in this. It's not like Kitty who's been trained as a ninja. Right, exactly. But she had the guts. She had the guts to, 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 to sort of just say, well, I want to do this anyway and I'm going to try. And that, of course, is how she ultimately earns her stripes as an X-Men. I know, although uh, this is really... I mean, this is the fir- my first time reading any of this stuff. Prior to this, the earliest X-Men I'm familiar with was the very first X-Men I ever read, which was issue 208, the second half of the throwdown with Nimrod in oh, Central right, Park. Oh, right, Wolverine stabs Rachel. Exactly. That was the first X-Men I'd ever read. So I'd never read any X-Men prior to that. This is part of my reading. I, I read all the classic X-Men up to 66, from the 60s yeah. up to 1970. Read all of that. Very clunky. Difficult to get into, although some fabulous early Neil Adams art. Yeah, those last um, like 10 issues are pretty good. Pretty good. And then I read from Giant Size on, and I'm reading it now. And so that's where I'm up to. So, good back issue stuff. So and you know, if you can arcade. get your... Arcade. Great, um, great pol- uh, bit of Murder World stuff. Colossus as a Colossus as a proletarian. As the proletarian, proletarian. Uh, that was I can never pronounce that. Such like and just again, just Claremont and Byrne at the. I will say, I will say, I find the height of Byrne's um, output to be his runs on Fantastic Four and then Man of Steel. That to me is the absolute peak of of Byrne's quality. But he is still hitting on all cylinders here and co-plotting the stuff with Claremont. It is just absolutely magnificent in every way, shape, and form. And I'm very much looking forward. We are starting to gear into the Dark Phoenix stuff. You know, Jason Wingard, a.k.a. Mastermind, corrupting uh, Gene. And and it's really just compelling and just everything that I've always loved about comics in general, Marvel comics in sp- Specific. Well, it's some of the best stuff. In this is this is some of this is some of the absolute like like best stuff ever created. So that's that's the older stuff I'm digging on. You sir, I have something that's not as old. Mm-hmm. I've actually I started picking this up a few years ago. I heard an interview with I think it was I forget it was either the writer, which is Ron Mars, or mm-hmm. the publisher, but it's Witchblade, and uh, by Image or the Top Cow imprinted Image, mm-hmm. and they actually were they had Ron Mars come on with issue eighty. Mm-hmm. And revamped the title a bit, so it made it a lot less of a just TNA book of, oh, look, she has this which thing on her arm, and it rips all her clothes off. Right. <laughs> that happens to some extent still, but it's also not 
Well, because people wouldn't buy it if that didn't happen occasionally. But it's not the focus. Mm -hmm. And he turned it, starting with issue 80, and which is actually cool, the fact that, because now, especially now, they would have done a new issue one. Mm -hmm. And the fact the book's like on issue like 170 or 180 now. So it's Mm -hmm. like it's one of the longest numbered titles now because everything else went to back to, you know, always keeps going to one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he restarted with with issue 80 as more of a supernatural detective slash superhero story as opposed to just she has boobs and runs around half naked. And that was sort of what it was initially pitched as. Like, in, I don't know if I'm if I'm drawing this more from that short live TV series uh, starring Clancy Brown. Was that her name, Clancy? Uh, no, Clancy, Clancy Brown is the guy who played Lex who Luthor. Plays Lex Luthor. The, uh, her name is like Superman. Superman animated series. Yeah, but anyway, the point is Yancy is, Butler. Yancy Butler. I knew it was an Ancy something. But my point is, is that I always got the sense that it was initially supposed to be a sort of detect, like she was supposed to be a sort of detective. Yeah, but it, thing. as far as I know, and to be fair, I could just be. Un- Judging it unfairly, I never really read it. I've, you know, I had skin an issue or two here or there, but it just seemed to be that kind of TNA book. He made it this real. Well, a lot story. of that early Top Cow stuff was primarily TNA oriented. Yeah. He made this this real story, and it made this whole big supernatural thing, and actually started laying seeds for like not just doing the whole thing that people would say like a lot of early '90s did with, oh, we have a mystery and there's stuff happening, but just we're telling you the word mystery. That's good enough. Mm-hmm. He actually, he is actually, it's actually one of his best works, I think. He's laying seeds for stuff that's happening years later. I love. I'm a big fan of the stuff he did for uh, Cross Gen. Yeah. So I, I have to Similarly say he's that. a he's a I, I I can see where you know he's a good writer and I, I'm a, I'm I'm a definitely a fan of his stuff. So, so. I'm on volume five of that his wow. one, which is uh called the first. Is it still being distributed by uh, Image? Yes. Yeah, so okay. Still owned by them. But yeah, this is the Firstborn storyline, which is actually kind of cool. He made a crossover. Mm-hmm. Within one book, pretty much. He, they had a miniseries called First Born, a three-issue miniseries, and it's basically those three issues over that and a few issues of Witchblade. And he made a big crossover because he brought in a couple char- supporting characters. He brought in the character The Darkness, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I don't think had his own title at the time, and I think it re- led But to, he had it some at various points he, did, he had. I think it led into The Darkness getting revamped and brought back again. Mm-hmm. So he made like this whole little Top Cow Universe crossover in basically two books. Cool. Coming out of one. And it's been a fun story. Now, this is not has not been my favorite volume out of the ones I read, but I am no means hating it or really disliking it. It's continuing mm-hmm. the story. But yeah. It's... And, you know, gorgeous modern artwork, oh, yeah, he does, blah, blah, blah. There's always great artwork on these things. Yeah. Some of the covers are amazing. That was always the knock on the Top Cow image stuff was great art, you know, really sort of slacking on the story side. Yeah, so but... now they're basically have the story to go with the great art. Yeah. No, that's cool. That's cool. Um, it's a shame we're sort of... Uh, uh, um, pressed we're, for time. Pressed for time. We're, we're sort of coming down to the end here, and I wanted to do a news section, so I'm just going to do uh, headlines and maybe, you know, like a sentence or two on each. Um, we'll, we'll get better at time management as we get into this uh, ongoing podcast thing. Exactly. But um, uh, what I want to do, uh, uh, the, the news items that have caught my eye, like I said, tremendous Bendis fanboy. Well, in just the week, in just the last week prior to the recording of this, uh, podcast, uh, it's been announced that uh, the, the Powers TV show that they've been developing for years was originally supposed to be on FX. They did a pilot with Jason Patrick, didn't really uh, uh, go anywhere. Is that online? It's Do been, you know? it's, um, I don't know if it is, I don't think it is yet. It might be eventually. But um, it was announced this week that the Powers TV station is now a go and it's going to get produced and it's going to be the first original series uh, released via uh, PlayStation 3 as a platform. 
and that's going to be, um, uh, they're saying cable series quality. So that has me geeked out no end because uh, obviously that's, I've been reading that one since it started and it's one of my favorite stories ever and the idea of getting to see uh, uh, um, Dina Pilgrim and, and Christian Walker in, uh, in full 3D, you know, live action glory is delightful. And other Bendis news, um, he uh, tweeted this week that Marvel has officially greenlit the sequel to his amazing 2012 series Spider-Man, which crossed over the original Spider-Man uh, series, uh, Amazing Spider-Man, uh, with the Ultimate Spider-Man. Which was Miles Morales. Miles Morales at the time, and this was fabulous because it was so warmly told. I mean, it was just a delightful, it was only five issues long, and just the scenes of Peter Parker learning about the ultimate world where ultimate Peter Parker had at that point been killed, um, getting to know Miles, getting to know ultimate Gwen Stacy and ultimate, you know, even getting a glimpse, I think, of ultimate MJ, although I don't think they really interacted much. <laughs> Plus that ridiculous cliffhanger ending where Peter finds out what happened to Miles Morales in the 616 universe. And we know nothing. And we never followed up on that. So anyway, the sequel I'm hoping is going to address all of that. Peter, of course, will be back from the dead at this point. He will have returned from the land of Superior. Oh, uh, death. I think that the ultimate Peter. Like, no, no, really? no, 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 no. Uh, Six sixteen Peter will be back from the dead. That's he will right, be Spider Man again. Miles and him are going to have a lot to catch up on. I'm dearly looking forward to that one. So basically, um, I continue to have wonderful stuff to look forward to, and I am just the happiest little fanboy in the world. What do you got? You got you got sixty seconds. Go. Um, I don't actually have any particular um, mm-hmm. article I read. I've actually just been reading some stuff on comic book resources, mm-hmm. mostly in the mm-hmm. comic should be good section. Ah, uh, which is one of my favorite which blogs. Which is always fun. And so they have a couple things, cool things to look at right now. Uh, five pieces of 80s canon that they want to see in the X-Men mm-hmm. Apocalypse movie because Days of Futures Past is in the 70s. Right. Like the first class was in the 60s. And it's been announced that Apocalypse will take place in the 80s. I'm pretty sure. Now, from the name of it, I'm pretty sure they're going to try and work in some of that Ensemble Noor actual Apocalypse yes. stuff. But, but still, that's, it's also going to be a period thing like this one will be and the last one was. And I saw that piece too and some of the things that they mention are exactly what I'm reading right now. Dazzler, Dazzler. the White Queen. Yeah, they said um, they want Dazzler. They're like, let's make her, you know, if you don't want to make a disco, although it was dated at the time anyway, you know, make her like Cindy Lauper. Right, exactly. But yeah, they want the White Queen back like a slightly older. They wouldn't mind the Outback showing, being mm-hmm. shown. I could I could go with that. And the other thing that you oh, and uh, Mohawk Storm and Sorry. Mohawk Storm, man, that My would be crazy Storm. awesome. Crazy I love awesome. a leather chick. Well, sadly, I believe that means we have, we have come to the end of our time here on the first uh, senses shattering issue of Four Color Fanboys. I can't smell anything. <laughs> Your senses have indeed been shattered. Oh, good. So okay. please uh, uh, check us out. We, uh, our website is at fourcolor.podwits.com. We are part of the pod, Podwits Podcast Network. I'm still learning how to say that without tripping over my own tongue. A lot of peas. A lot of peas in there. And uh, please, by all means, check us out online. I think we'll uh, be putting some um, other content up. We have a website. Why not make use of it? Oh, yeah. um, we will, uh, hopefully, by the time the next issue is out, also be up and running on iTunes, so you can find us there. Um, so, uh, reach out to us, uh, contact us via the website, um, contact us, uh, via, uh, facebook.com slash podwits. Um, uh, and, uh, also you can, uh, uh, tweet at me. I'm at Kid Chiron. Are you on Twitter? Yes. Uh, I'm at Rebus02. R-E-B-I-S-02. Okay. And, uh, so, and, um, so we'll see you next month with our second, uh, uh, 
uh, I'll come up with a, 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 a appropriately Stanley-ish adjective for uh, for our second issue. Um, so check us out, and uh, we will see you next time on the Four Color Fanboy Podcast. Bye.